0: Well, amen. It's a privilege to be here today. You may be seated and appreciate the invitation. It's always an honor to be able to come back and preach at chapel here. And I'm from Cortez, Colorado. We've got a lot of the chapel family that lives uh, in our area. And that was something to get used to. And I remember back when I was in college, I first came to college here and I didn't really know anybody or anything about this place. Sort of walking around and people started calling me Brother Chapel. I couldn't figure it out. I said, why in the world would people call me Brother Chapel? I look nothing like Paul Chapel. Well, I didn't know that he had a brother. He was a younger brother named Stephen. And I've gotten to know him quite a bit, and everybody seems to think I look like him. So every time I come back here, people don't know who I am, and they call me Brother Chapel still. It benefited me a little bit because every once in a while I'd go through the lunch line, and the lunch ladies that were serving would think that I was Brother Chapel. And I'd always get extra food. I like that. And now when I come back, everybody thinks I am my brother, Travis, and I've already been called Travis several times here. He played for the basketball team here. But regardless of who I am, I'm glad to be back here today, and it's a privilege here. We have one of the young men from our church here, Trent Briggs. Where are you at, Trent? Will you stand up? There he is right there. That's a good young man right there, grew up in a missionary, missionary family's home, and wants to be a missionary himself. I think he's available too, I'll just leave it right there. But uh, Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17 is where we'll be at in the scriptures here today. And excited to be able to uh, open God's word together and share some time in the scripture. I love that special. That was a blessing. I don't know where Austin, the other young man who sang it, is at, but that was a blessing. Thank you for singing that. Matthew chapter 17 is where we're going to be at in the scriptures in just a moment. I heard the story about a man, he was sitting at a restaurant. And he saw an attractive woman sitting at the table next to him. And I'm sure he was thinking in his mind, I'd sure like to be able to talk to that lady right there. And suddenly, as they were sitting there and getting ready to enjoy their meal, she sneezed. And when she sneezed, her eye came out. She had a glass eye. And it hurled by him. and He had good reflexes, so he caught the eye. He got up and handed it back to her. And she said, I am so sorry. I am so embarrassed. This has never happened to me before in my life. What can I do to make it up to you? Can I buy you dinner? Will you have dinner with me? And the man said, well, sure. So they sat down together, and they began to enjoy a meal together and actually had a wonderful conversation. She was a beautiful person inside and out, and he found that they had a lot in common, and so they were sitting there. And as they came to the end of the meal, the man looked at the woman, and he said, you're the most charming woman I think I've ever met in my life, and I just have to ask you a question. Do you treat every guy that you meet like this? And she said, no, you just happened to catch my eye. Now, that's the corny joke of the year right there, okay? <laughs> that's probably not going to happen to you with your dating attempts here either, so don't try that one. You know, I, I listened to that joke and I just thought, we look at Jesus. We just heard a song about how, how He's the fairest of all. There's just something about Jesus. We think about Him and we look at Him in the Scriptures. So we get to know Him. There's just something about Him that catches our eye. We sing the song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something, if you don't sing it with me, about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name, Jesus. In the passage of Scripture before us, we find that some of the disciples of Jesus had an experience that when they walked away from it, their lives were never the same. This passage of Scripture we're about to look at is often called the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was here on this mountain that Peter, James, and John saw the glory of Jesus revealed right before their eyes. And their lives were forever changed. And so why don't we stand together as we read Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while they yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, and you read the last phrase with me? They saw no man save Jesus only. Jesus only. Whatever their focus may have been before they went onto that mountaintop, when they came down, there was no doubt that their focus was then fixed on no one but Jesus only. And it is my prayer as we spend some time in the Scripture here today, that the focus of your heart will be once again, regardless, we've gotten past a couple first weeks of school, and your focus might have been diverted in a lot of different directions with relationships and collegiates and all kinds of wonderful things that are going on around here. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. What I am saying is, if any of those things are taking the place of Jesus in your heart, as far as your focus is concerned, they are wrong for you It is my prayer that our focus together might be realigned on the one who deserves it and that is Jesus so let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to bless our time together father we come before you we need your help today Holy Spirit of God I pray you do what I cannot do take your word and communicate to the heart of every individual that's in this room today be it student or teacher uh, I pray that every person would be helped from the scriptures including myself And I pray, God, that you would uh, get a hold of our hearts. And if there is anything, anything there that is stealing the place that belongs to you, I pray, God, that you would reveal it to us. And I pray you would give us a a centralized focus upon the Lord Jesus. We might have eyes for Jesus only. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a day where it seems like everything is trying to steal our attention, to capture our attention. Uh, In the day of social media and all the different types of social media that there are and text messages and phone calls and emails and we've got schedules and we've got uh, commercials and it just seems like everything in society is geared to try to capture our attention, to get us to focus on what they want us to focus on. And besides that, we all have different agendas in our own life. We have family, we have work, we have school, and we have our own recreation and hobbies that are continually calling out for our attention. And it would seem like in the midst of all of these things, it's so easy for us to not be able to focus on any one thing with all of these things that are begging for our attention. And the sad reality is we have so much going on, we don't have time to put our focus on the one really deserves all of it and that is Jesus and so what this inevitably results in in our lives is that we get to the place where we start thinking things like well when I have more time I'll read my Bible when I have more time I'll spend time in prayer when I get past this busy season of life I'll serve the Lord we come up with all of these things in our own minds that justify well I'm busy doing a bunch of good things but sometimes it's the good things that take our focus off of the one who deserves it. And I've walked where you've walked. I remember what it's like to be in college. Getting caught up in all the wonderful things that are available to you and all the while becoming more and more empty on the inside. It's a dangerous thing where any of us, it's a dangerous trap that any of us can fall into. But I want you to understand something very clearly before we dig into Matthew 17 here. God will not settle for second best. The scriptures are very clear that God isn't interested in our leftovers. He wants to be the sole focus of our life. The Bible says in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. In Colossians chapter one and verse 18, the Bible says that he Christ, is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I'm here to remind you today that anything less than your all is less than sufficient for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to just be a part of your life. He wants to be the preeminent one in your life. We often need to be reminded about this fact and we need to be reminded about how to make our lives focused in everything that we do. On Jesus Christ and His purpose for our life. And so, how can we, like these disciples in Matthew 17, learn to have eyes for Jesus only? I want to give you five steps to developing eyes for Jesus only. Number one, isolation. There's a step of isolation. Notice in verse number one of chapter 17 with me again what the Bible says. It says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brethren, and bringeth them up into a high mountain. And what's the last word? apart he taketh them into a high mountain apart the first step that these disciples took towards having eyes for jesus only is when jesus led them to this high mountain apart if i could put it another way they got away from everything else that was going on in that busy ministry and they got alone with jesus I'm here to tell you that if you're going to develop eyes for Jesus only, if you're going to get your focus back on Him, it's going to have to start with a step of isolation for you. To put it very simply, you need to get alone with God. What does it mean to get alone with God? I think Jesus in His earthly life and ministry demonstrated for us very well what that looks like. There's several verses we could go to, but Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, it tells us about Jesus And it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God, even in the midst of the busy ministry that Jesus had, he still always made time as an example to spend a private time of communion with his Father. We see Jesus demonstrating this and we see the emphasis uh, all throughout Scripture of the importance of having this private time with the Lord. Psalm chapter 91 verse number 1, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And here's the thing, for many of you, you have regular times when you're in the Word. And that's wonderful. That's one of the things I love the most about being in college here. It was the opportunity we had to hear the Word taught so much and preach so much and to be exposed to that and how God worked in my heart through it. But what you have many opportunities to hear the Word preached. You hear the Word taught. You have your dorm devos and you have your men and, men and lady devos and you have all of these things that are going on and you are being confronted continually with the Word. But I wonder... If in the midst of all of that, there's any time where you're spending alone with the Lord, in communion with Him. When you're letting God speak to your heart, you've you've taken this step of isolation in your life. See, I believe that Satan's built an arsenal, even in a place like this. Satan's built an arsenal of things to keep you from spending time alone with God. Because Satan knows that if you don't spend time with the Lord, you're susceptible to his attacks. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Hey, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. One of the reasons that many of us struggle so much is because we're not finding our strength in the Lord. I wonder when's the last time you took some time to spend alone with God. I like what Samuel Chadwick said. He said, Satan's one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. Can I remind you, student body, one of the most important things you will ever learn to do if you haven't learned it before you came to this place One of the most important things you will ever learn to do in this place is walk with God. In fact, if all you have when you leave this place is a walk with God, I would go so far as to say that's all you need. I wonder if you've taken a step away from the busyness, away from all the things that are going on that are good, but aren't the most important thing to spend some time with Him first step if you're going to have eyes for Jesus only is isolation the second step is this revelation You need to take the step of revelation. Look at verse number two with me in your Bibles, if you would. The Bible says in verse two, and he was transfigured, Jesus was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Hey, notice this. After these disciples got alone with Jesus on that mountain, something wonderful took place. Those disciples got a glimpse of Jesus in all of his glory. Can you imagine what that would have been like to see the glorified Christ? In that place, hey, we understand about Jesus, hey, that he was God in the flesh. He was divinity clothed in humanity. He was 100% God, or at the same time, 100% man. Philippians chapter 2 tells us about him that Jesus, who was in the image of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, in this moment, was revealing who he was as God himself. God himself in the flesh. What a wonderful spectacle and sight that must have been for these disciples. Verse number 3, the Bible says, In that moment that, behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Hey, here in this moment when Jesus begins to reveal his glory, something else took place. The Bible says that Moses and Elijah appeared and began to talk with Jesus. Now that's significant, especially for those Hebrew men. Uh, Moses and Elijah were particularly heroes to them. But Moses and Elijah showed up. Moses, a representative of uh, the books of the law, and Elijah, a representative of the books of the prophet, of which the entire canon of Scripture up to this point in time in history was written. It is interesting to me, and I don't think it is an accident or a coincidence, that as the glory of Jesus began to be revealed, the very men who represented the Word of God appeared communing with Him. I'll tell you something. We don't have Jesus physically present with us to reveal to us his glory. Can I tell you the Bible tells us we have something so much better. We have the word of God. Now keep your Bible in Matthew 17 but turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 because later in Peter's life, he began to uh, look back on this event that had happened when he was on that Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And as he looked back on it, he came to a conclusion that I think is so important for us to keep in mind. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 16. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables, When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Notice what he says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of promise where until you do well that you take heed is unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, until the, uh, until the day star arise in your hearts. Friend, we don't have to see the transfiguration of Jesus to get a glimpse of who he is in all his glory. All we have to do is turn to the pages of scripture and we can begin to know who Jesus is. You see, you can see Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, he's creator God. In Exodus, he's our redeemer. In the in Leviticus, he's your holiness. In Numbers, he's your guide. In Deuteronomy, he's your teacher. In Joshua, he's the mighty conqueror. In Judges, he's the perfect judge. In Ruth, he's your kinsman redeemer. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, he's the powerful prophet. In 1st and 2nd Kings, he's the reigning king. In 1st and 2nd Chronicles, he's our intercessor. In Ezra, he's a faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls. In Esther, he stands in the gap to deliver you from your enemies. In Job, he understands your pain. In Psalms he's your reason to sing in Proverbs he's your wisdom for life in Ecclesiastes he's your purpose and your satisfaction in the Psalm of Solomon he's a lover of your soul in Isaiah he's wonderful mighty counselor everlasting father and the prince of peace in Jeremiah he's your comfort in the times of suffering in lamentations he's the ever faithful one upon whom you can depend in Ezekiel he's the son of man in Daniel he's the ancient of days in Hosea he's your faithful lover in Joel he's your refuge in Amos he bears your burdens in Obadiah he's the mighty savior in Jonah he's your salvation in Micah he's your peace in Nahum he's your avenger in Habakkuk he's the holy one in Zephaniah he is mighty to save in Haggai he's the lord of hosts in Zechariah he's the crucified son and in Malachi he's the son of righteousness and friend that's just the Old Testament I'm telling you in Matthew he's the Messiah who is a king in Mark he's the Messiah who is a servant in Luke he's the Messiah who is the deliverer. And in John, he's the Messiah who is God in the flesh. In Acts, he's the risen Lord and the Savior of the world. In Romans, he's your justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he's your righteousness. In 2 Corinthians, he's the triumphant one. In Galatians, he sets you free. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's your joy. In Colossians, he's your completeness. In 1 Thessalonians, he's your hope. In 2 Thessalonians, he's your glory. In 1 Timothy, he's your mediator. In 2 Timothy, he's your master. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's your benefactor. In Hebrews, he's your great high priest. In James, he's our judge. In 1 Peter, he's your example. In 2 Peter, he's your purity. In 1 John, he's your life. In 2 John, he's your pattern. In 3 John, he's your truth. In Jude, he's the foundation of your faith. And in Revelation, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. I'm here to tell you today, he's the theme of the whole Bible. The whole book's written about him. If you know the whole Bible and you don't know Jesus, then you miss the point. The Bible was Jesus. He is the living word, and we begin to know the living word through the written word. And I'm here to tell you as those disciples got alone on that mountain, they began to see the glory of Jesus revealed. And friend, when you start to get alone with God and you start seeking God in a private time of communion and you go to Him in His Word, I can't, I, I can't describe it for you. It's something you've got to experience for yourself. But those disciples that began to see the glory of Jesus revealed to them and would to God, as you get alone with Him, you begin to get to to know who Jesus is. And then something else is going to happen. First, there's a step of isolation. Then there's the step of revelation. But the third step is a step of exaltation. The step of exaltation. You see, as all this began to take place in Matthew 17, the disciples were overwhelmed at the sight of it all. To see Jesus in His glory, and Moses and Elijah especially, was of significance for those Hebrew men. And their response was probably not unlike what many of ours would have been. In verse number four, the Bible tells us, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Hey, Peter was just excited to be there with Jesus, with Moses and with Elijah. And that must have been an experience in need, indeed but his suggestion was obviously misguided. And it begs to be said at this moment, so often when God begins to work in our hearts, we attribute his glory for what he is doing to the person through whom he is doing it. And I just want to remind you of something that you need to be careful of. Be careful about falling into the trap of man worship. it's easy to do. It's easy as you begin to learn from teachers and learn from people that you respect to begin to elevate them in your own hearts even over the place of Jesus. It is a dangerous trap for any of us to fall into. Hey, just because a person can sing a song that moves you or preach a message that speaks to your heart doesn't mean that it is them who is doing it. It's not wise for you to glory in men. You see, men will fail you. Jesus never fails. Three out of the five men that I've called pastor in my lifetime are no longer in the ministry today. I'm not proud of that fact. But friend, I can tell you from experience, don't glory in men. Now, thank God for the wonderful men who have been faithful for 25 plus years here. And their examples are are wonderful. But I can guarantee you they would say the same thing if they were standing up here right now. They don't want you to glory in them. They want you to glory in Christ. The goal of every person in ministry ought to be the same as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 verse 24. And they glorified God in me. Every good thing comes from God, and we need to be reminded of it. And so Peter was a little misguided in his suggestion, and in response to his fullest suggestion, in verse number 5, the disciples heard a voice coming from God directly out of heaven. I want you to notice how he was redirecting their focus where it, where it belonged. In verse number 5, the Bible says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Read the last three words with me. Hear ye Him. Hear ye Him. God spoke out of heaven. Now that must have been a wonderful experience. But God was not going to have the glory that belonged to Jesus given to anyone else, especially in that moment. And I want you to notice how the disciples responded in verse 6. In verse 6, the Bible says, And when the disciples heard it, They fell on their faces and were sore afraid. Here's what happened. They fell on their faces in worship of Jesus. Now get this, because we discover this third step these disciples took towards having eyes for Jesus only here. It was when their hearts were directed in true worship towards Jesus and genuine worship towards Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to learn to have your focus put back on Jesus and Jesus alone today, you too must develop a heart of worship towards Him. Hey, the Bible tells us in Philippians 2 and verse 9, wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And friend, there needs to come a point in your life when you learn to get alone with God and He begins to reveal who He is to you as you begin to understand who Jesus is and you begin to see Jesus working in your life and you begin to experience in your private time with the Lord. Lord, the glory of Jesus Christ, there is one thing that is inevitably going to happen. Your heart is going to be drawn to exalted worship of Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm going to tell you something. The thing that's going to get your focus off of whatever else you're worshiping, be it a relationship, be it a schedule, be it another person, is when you really get a hold of who Jesus is. And your focus is all of a sudden not about all this peripheral. It's about Him in all of His glory because He is worthy. He is worthy. And He alone is worthy. And so when is the last time that you sincerely took time to worship Jesus? Hey, we can get caught up in worshiping a song that we really like and miss the meaning of the song. We can get caught up in hearing a a message that moves us emotionally but miss the point of the message. We can get caught up in all these peripheral things. What God is leading us to do is have our focus put back on the one who deserves it. And that is Jesus. I tell our people at Lighthouse Baptist Church all the time, when people leave our church, I don't want them to leave and say, boy, what a great song that was. I don't want them to leave and say, pastor, what a great sermon that was. I want him to leave and say, what a great Savior He is. He's who it's all about. Step one, isolation. Get alone with God. Step two, revelation. Begin to discover who He is by His Spirit through His Word. Step three, exaltation. Begin to worship Him for who He is and what He's done. Here's the fourth step, transformation. Transformation. Look at verse number seven in the Scripture, if you would. And the Bible tells us, And Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. Hey, after falling down in worship of Jesus and all his glory, after hearing the voice of God thundering from heaven and telling them, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased, those disciples fell down on their faces in worship. And it was at that moment, the Bible says someone touched them. And I tell you, it wasn't Moses that touched them. It wasn't Elijah who touched them. It was Jesus. They began to feel the touch of Jesus on their life. And it was the touch of Jesus on that mountainside that changed their perspectives entirely. Those disciples, when they got up from that encounter, they had eyes for Jesus only after they experienced the life-transforming touch of Jesus upon their hearts. I'm going to tell you something. The touch of Jesus, it has a life-changing impact on all of us. See, at the touch of Jesus, the blind was made to see. At the touch of Jesus, the mute was made to speak. At the touch of Jesus, the deaf was made to hear. At the touch of Jesus, the lame was made to walk again. At the touch of Jesus, the dead was made to live again. And yet the touch of Jesus becomes a lot more personal than that when you've experienced it for yourself. I remember on October 15th of 1999 when I felt the touch of Jesus on my heart as he spoke to me through his word. And I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I remember when I felt the touch of Jesus on my heart on July 1st of 2007. Now some of you, you'll you'll like this. It was Pastor Kyle Gilstrap, who wasn't a pastor then. He was preaching. I remember when Jesus touched my heart and, and called me to preach. My life was never the same after that. I remember when Jesus touched my heart in May of 2014. Began to speak to me about being a pastor. And think I could do it, but three months later, God had me pastoring. Hey, I've experienced the touch of Jesus on my heart. I've experienced the transformation that it brings in a person's life. And, young person, once you begin to experience the touch of Jesus on your heart as He speaks to you through His Word, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. Now, I just want you to think about what's taken place so far. Once these disciples got alone with Jesus and began to see His glory revealed, they were moved in their spirit to exalt Him and Him alone in worship. And it is then that Jesus began to transform their lives. This is so important. Because if you're not careful, you're going to get caught in a trap of trying to transform yourself. When all the while... Jesus wants to transform your life. But when your focus is on other people, on other things, you will try to change your life to be like them. Jesus wants you to turn your focus on him. And when he is in the rightful place in your heart, he wants to bring the transformation. And I'm gonna tell you, the transformation he brings will be real, it'll be genuine. It won't be something you'll doubt when you leave this place. That's the type of transformation that Jesus wants to bring in your life. And would to God there be some young people who'd be willing to follow these steps? There's a step of isolation. Get alone with God. There's a step of revelation. Begin to learn more of who He is from His Word. There's a step of exaltation. Begin to exalt, exalt Him for who He is. There's a step of transformation. As you begin to learn who He is, He'll begin to work on your heart and transform your life. And that leads us to a final step. And that final step is sanctification. Verse number eight, look at it with me if you would. The Bible says, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Can you read that out loud with me? And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Hey, after all these other things, had taken place, the end result, the Bible says, is that they had eyes for Jesus only. They saw no man save Jesus only. No longer were they focused on Moses or Elijah. They only saw Jesus and Jesus alone. And in this sense, they experienced a work of sanctification in their hearts. The word sanctification, it means to be set apart to the Lord, to be dedicated to the Lord. And what we find is that the focus, the vision of these disciples began to be set apart from everything else that it had been focused on. And it was set on Jesus and Jesus alone. And the final step we're going to have to take, if we're going to have eyes for Jesus only, is to get our gaze off of everything else and turn our eyes on Jesus Christ alone. A young person, let me tell you something. You need to allow God to sanctify your focus in life. To set your focus off of all of the peripheral things that are robbing Jesus Christ of his rightful place in your heart. I walked where you walked. And I saw many a young person get so consumed with a sport, or being a part of a singing group, or being a part of one of the many wonderful opportunities that are here. And they got so focused on those things that in the process, they got their eyes off what really mattered. Do you, all those things are wonderful, but without Jesus, they mean nothing. It's great if you're a dorm super, it's great if you have a position to try to minister to your fellow students, and all of those things are great, but if you're not. If you've lost your focus on Jesus in the midst of all of it, all of it means nothing. All of it means nothing. And I, hey, sometimes it's good things that rob our attention that uh, off of Jesus that Jesus is supposed to hold in our hearts. It's not always bad things. Sometimes it's good things. But friend, if there's something in your life right now that is taking the place of Christ in your heart that is robbing you of that time of communion with Him on a daily basis, it needs to go. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hey. There comes a point when all of us that we need to be willing to set some things aside as we're looking unto Jesus so we can run the race that He has given us to run. And you must be willing to set yourself apart from whatever it is that is putting Jesus in second place. For some of you, it very well may be a job. For some of you, it may be a position. For some of you, it may be a relationship that really isn't godly. It isn't inspiring godly desires in your heart. Hey, it could be an abundance of things for all of you who are sitting in here today. But the point is, you must be willing to set it aside, to put your focus back on where it belongs. Now, by setting it aside it doesn't mean that you necessarily walk away from it. It might mean that. Well, there's been times as, as a pastor, I've, I've allowed being a pastor to become more my focus than on being a child of God. And that's a danger, that's a trap that any of us can fall into. It's not just at your stage of life, it's every stage of life. But boy, when you start to get your eyes back on the Lord and he, he starts to speak to your heart and you begin to experience who He is again, He'll start to transform your heart and do a work in your heart and begin to reveal some things in your life that were taking your focus off of Him that need to go or need to be changed. And you need to be attentive when the Lord starts speaking to your hearts about those things. There's a lot of negative connotation about the idea of sanctification, or about separation. And sometimes people think separation is a bad thing. I'll tell you one thing. When I got married, I didn't even blink at the idea of separating from everybody else to marry that beautiful woman. My wife, Emily. I, I didn't even hesitate. It wasn't about who I was separating myself from. It was about who I was getting to separate myself to. I enjoy my marriage with my wife. It's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. Well, whatever it is, whatever it is that is robbing your focus from being on Jesus, it's not worth it. As we've often heard said, you can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. That's what we need. And we see this work beginning to happen in these disciples' lives. And this was definitely seen from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. When the Apostle Paul said, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And yea, doubtless I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them, but dung, that I may win Christ. He said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is And so what is it, young person, today? What is it today that is robbing your focus from being on Jesus and Jesus only? And would you be willing today to set it apart, to set yourself apart from it, to set it aside and give the place back to the Lord Jesus that has always belonged to him? Would you be willing to make that decision today? We've got one more Story I'd like to tell you before we're done here today. I didn't start off Bible college at West Coast. I started off at another college. And I went when I was 17 years old. Some of you probably are in the same boat. Uh, And I went to the college, and the first year was great. Honestly, that first year, I began to really develop a passion for walking with the Lord. The second year I went back, I was 18. And when I came back, three things happened that that weren't the same as the first year. They asked me to be a bus captain. They asked me to be a dorm soup, and I started dating for the first time in my life. And I'd never dated before. I wasn't allowed to date in high school. I started dating for the first time in my life. Those three things happened. And I just be honest with you, what happened? I got focused on all those things. On that relationship with that young lady, oh, I was a bus captain, I was a dorm soup. I was going to do a good job with it. And in the process, I got my eyes off of my lord. I made some foolish choices. Foolish choices that the administration of the college and my parents and my pastor thought by the end of that first semester, I think you probably need to sit out a semester and get some things back in order. And so I did. Well I went home with my tail between my legs, I thought God was never going to use me. I thought I was never going to be able to go back to Bible college. Let I'll tell you what happened and what was at that point one of the darkest times of my life. I began to Get alone with God again. I hadn't done that for a while. And the Lord began to speak to my heart again. And I began to fall in love with Jesus again. And He began to do a transformational work in my heart. And some of those things that had robbed my focus from Him, He began to speak to me about them. Got out of that relationship that I never should have gotten into, and I decided I wasn't going to be consumed with being the big bus captain or being the big dorm soup. I was going to put my focus back on the one to whom it belonged. And boy, after God did that work in my heart, it wasn't too long after it, I met this man. He was preaching at Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp, and he told me about West Coast Baptist College. And I thought, I think I'd like to go there. I said, Lord, would you give me a sign? I, I, I need a sign that that's where you want me to go. It's the only time I've ever asked the Lord for a sign. Wouldn't you know it, it was right after that, I met a young lady named Emily Marie. She was pretty. And guess where she was going to college? Oh, yeah. I felt the call of God very strongly then. <laughs> so I came out to West Coast. I'm thankful for what the Lord did in my heart there. But it wasn't. It, for me, the Lord had to take me away from the environment that I was in to get my focus back where it belonged. My prayer for you is that you don't have to leave this place, but instead you decide I'm not going to get distracted by all these other things. I'm going to keep my walk with God central. I'm going to keep my focus on my Lord who my life is dedicated to. Keep your focus on Jesus alone. As the old song says, "O soul, are you weary? and troubled. No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. Sing it with me if you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Would you be willing to take these same steps these disciples took and turn your focus back on Jesus? Would you be willing today to turn your eyes on Jesus?